The information provided in this podcast episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is in no way a replacement for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. In the recession of 2009, Lisa Phillips lost her job and home to foreclosure. She was left with a $35,000 condo and only enough money to renovate the place, doing the work herself to stretch her unemployment check. She'd reached the bottom, an electrical engineer with no job. So with this new reality, she started a strategy of owning inexpensive rental properties for cash flow that was possible even when traditional mortgages were not attainable. So this strategy started to show consistent results, and then she showed others about it on her platform, which is called Affordable Real Estate Investments. Now, Lisa Phillips hand walks working professionals through creating their own passive income portfolio, generating $2,000 to $4,000 a month in income, which gives these professionals a starting point to financial freedom. Lisa always encourages her clients to think about what happens after they reach their target goals and what their higher calling is after using the properties as a tool to make that dream a reality. Family, let's welcome Lisa Phillips to the Minding My Black Business Podcast. Welcome to Minding My Black Business. Okay, family, we have another episode of the Minding My Black Business podcast, and I'm so excited for you to hear from our uh, guest today. Um, So, Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Hey, (laughs) thank you for having me on. Now, can you introduce yourself and then um, let the family know where they can find you? Okay, my name is Lisa Phillips. Um, I now I help a lot of uh, black professionals build rental property portfolios in black neighborhoods. Um, there's a lot that goes behind that. Before that, I was a consultant with the big four, four firms trying to fit into corporate America. Uh, let me tell you, that didn't work out too well. Um, before that, electrical engineer, just because, you know, I liked it, but it was a little too boring for my blood, <laughs> even though I love the challenge and, you know, how I learned to be really systematic and analytical in thinking. Mm. So that sort of is part of the story of, of Lisa. I'll just okay. stick with that for now. Okay. And so where can they find you out in the world? Correct. Uh, affordable, my website is affordablerealestateinvestments.com. And also, if you go to YouTube or Twitter or Instagram and put affordable REI, like affordable real estate investments, affordable REI, you will find me and I do weekly YouTube lives there and in my Facebook group. So you might want to join if you just like asking questions about real estate investing or just meeting other people who are like-minded. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll make sure that we put all that information in the show notes to this episode. So as people are listening, they can just sort of click those links after they hear your interview, of course, um, to get connected to you in all those ways. That's perfect. So I'm curious because you mentioned um, a few different things when you were introducing yourself. So how did entrepreneurship find you? How did it find you? It was more like I kept getting kicked in the head oh, and I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. 
So, you know, um, same old jazz. We grew up lower income, so I really wanted to make money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I felt confident in at that time was getting a degree and getting, like, a job in a career field that pays a lot, right? Right. Doctors, one thing, but I didn't feel like dealing with blood, although the challenge would have been okay. So engineering was one that was stable. You make a lot of money. It's challenging, which I like. Um, so you go that route. The only people I knew who did business at that time were my dad and just like, just a couple of others, but no one really personally. Mm -hmm. So I did not have a model of successful entrepreneurship, um, to sort of inspire that at a young age. So I went the corporate America route. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I can now freely admit, I was never made for corporate America. Mm. I was never made for it. So, yeah, the money's there and I have to eat and I'm getting a paycheck. But right. Lisa does not fit in with what they want me to be because I'm too strong. I like to be myself. Um, and that does not always work in that environment. Right. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I think about the third time I got laid off from a job cause I'm the, I'm, I'm, I mean, so there's bigger economic issues at first, right? I think black Americans are usually the first to get laid off and the last to get hired. Uh-huh. Right. So I say all of my experiences needs to be understood through this prism of what goes on in America. Um, so, you know, like the third layoff, uh-huh. I'm like, I just need some source of income coming in because I'm not going to do the, like, I I like money. I have no hangups about it. It's Mm -hmm. nothing weird to me. I have a very spiritual, loving connection to it. (laughs) It loves me, even though I didn't grow up with any. I'm not greedy, but, and so I was like, I need to do something. So I started looking into real estate, but in a roundabout way. Mm Okay. Real estate investments. I can go into detail, but uh, you know, I'll let you see where you. Well, I, I think we're gonna get there. I think we're gonna get there. But okay. that's, that's you're leading a good foundation. So, um, recognizing that corporate America was not a good fit. So, how would you say that now entrepreneurship is treating you? Because I find it to be quite a journey in all of its wonderfulness and challenges. How is it treating you so far? Oh, it's been great. Um, There's so many aspects I can get into. So ask me if you want it. But some of us were made to be entrepreneurs, period. You feel it? Mm-hmm. We were made for it. We're visionary. We're creative. If we want to do something, we can sort of see, okay, I want to do this. So let's lay this in line. And some of us can just see that, right? That pathway and what to do next. So um, that's been great. Now, there was a point in which I was working a lot. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get caught up in that. Um and, uh, you know, like you're working for yourself and you're bringing an income, but you're working 12, 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I had a baby two and a half years ago. And that put a kibosh to that because oh, for sure. I don't know, for you guys out there that got kids, especially young ones, they are not trying to hear mommy's busy. Right. Okay. <laughs> they are not trying to hear mommy's trying to get a client. They're not trying to hear any of that. They're like, mommy, I see you. You need to be playing with me. And, you know, so they're young, too, so they're cute, but they're also, like, trying to get up on your lap while you're doing a podcast, which Mm -hmm. might happen during this one, right? (laughs) I'm just putting it out there. Um, But people have been really – what I love about it is that I work with other women who are moms and entrepreneurs, so when Mm. that happens, they're like, girl, mine did that yesterday. You know, I was on the news, (laughs) right, when they busted it. So that's really been cool. Um, People I've met, that understanding – but I did spend a lot of time maybe the last year on really getting really good at outsourcing and mm. automating. So now I choose to work what I need to work on. I'm really good at outsourcing with very low cost virtual assistants around the, around the globe. 
Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, so that's been even better since I went from working in the business to working on the business in uh -huh. that trajectory. Okay. Okay. So that was kind of a paradigm shift as to how you were going to, um, the role that yeah. you were going to play within your business. So that's awesome. Yeah. It was forced by the baby because you okay. got to spend time, right? <laughs> like you're like, oh, I spent all this time and money building a business and then right. you're like working so hard in it. You're not even seeing the baby that you built the business for. So you could like be with the baby, right? Right. You know right, I mean? right. Right. So it really forced that issue for me to try to scale or outsource mm -hmm. so that was its own journey as well but visionary will and willingness to implement um, yeah. regardless of what people think mm -hmm. has always served well right like having an idea not second guessing yourself mm -hmm. just trying it and you know about you know some have failed and I spent a lot of money on it but others did not you know mm -hmm. how did you get to that point where you knew it's time to outsource the baby. <laughs> if I hadn't have had a baby, I think I'd still be working. Ah, in so, okay. you know, they, they bring some perspective changes For sure. uh, in your life. Um, I enjoy the work, right? The challenge of a new podcast or a new venture. Like, that's fun. Like, oh, let me see if this works. It's like, let me see, right? It's uh -huh. always like, and if it works, you feel good, you know? Right. Um, so I didn't mind the work, but it was a little too much. Uh -huh. And having the baby made me go, okay, let me get serious because she's here. She's in my face. Uh -huh. I want to spend that time. And so that was sort of an expensive lesson too. I like, I like teamed up with this woman who's like, how to automate your business. Uh -huh. She was really expensive. Um, I did not learn how to, like, I learned the fundamentals, though, in outsourcing. I have standard operating procedures for everything. So nice. I use Google Words. And so I have someone who does my daily email box. Mm -hmm. So um, I communicate through, like, this document, telling her what to do, screenshots. I'll do a video with, like, a screen capture. This mm -hmm. is how you do it. This is what you do. So I outsource so many of my things. And if someone leaves, I get someone else, they read it, they look at my video going over it, which is held on Vimeo and it keeps on going. Do you know right. what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I got really good at using those automated. So if someone leaves, it's okay. I can right. stick someone else. They'll see my video of me doing it with a screencast mm -hmm. and they'll have my document. I'll send it to them. Do you think you can do this? And so that's how, you know, I've really delved into that world. So I have like mm. 50, SOPs, I call it, you know, standard operating procedures. Right. That was a big part of it. Yeah, that does make sense. Mm -hmm. And it is helpful that your business is able to, um, people are able to pick up and, and maneuver parts of your business um, without your, mm -hmm. with your, without your direct hands on it. Yeah, yeah. I spent the time up front, right, yeah. to like create a screen capture showing that, that mm -hmm. thing. And I try to get all my entrepreneurial friends to do it because they're all super busy. Right. I'm like, girl, do this. You got to. You can't. Right. It does feel like, well, do, do I have time to do that? And do that? Yeah, but I yeah. get that. <laughs> it saves you time on the other side it of it. Does. It does. <laughs> it's worth it. And Absolutely. you know what? I would give instructions to my virtual assistants, like in Asana or an email. Mm -hmm. And then I had another virtual assistant. I'm like, hey, take this do this little outline, do one, two, three, and four, and make this a document. So mm -hmm. then I would outsource that. So if I explained it through email or through video, mm -hmm. I'd have them put it. So I even outsourced that really. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Minding my oh, black business. There you go. There you go. So I mean, that's a nice transition <laughs> to, to what I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned that, um, you know, 
this part that you're doing now is about investment properties in black neighborhoods and for yeah. black clients. And so how did you determine that that's what you wanted to do? Why did you decide to make the black community your ideal or primary client source? There's a couple of levels to that. So I'll try to go through it well, sort of we, fast. All right. We got, we got time. We have time. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a couple <laughs> levels, right? So the first level is like the act itself. The second level was who was attracted to my message. Mm. And the third level was me going, you know what? I just want to keep this for black people and make it very clear. That's who my messaging is. Okay. Mm. So we'll talk with the first level. First okay. level is I purchased a house in 2006 in Las Vegas mm-hmm. uh, at the top of the market. It, then I got laid off and went to Ohio where I the only place I could find a job during that time. And during that, um, I had to, for, um, I was still paying the property, but it was real expensive. Like I couldn't get the rents for the property. I was paying like 900 a month to stay even. Mm. Um, what I know now that I did not know then was that if you ever buy a property for your, your primary, you should always make sure that the market rents match what your mortgage payment is. Mm. I, no one was there to tell me that or advise me of that. I was like, it's a house and it's going to keep going to the top. Right. You know, we had all these Californians selling their $500,000 homes and moving in. So let me buy this $400,000 home at 24. Right. <laughs> You know, interest only. (laughs) This is brilliant because it's going to be worth 600,000 because we saw that from 2000 to 2006 in Las Vegas. Um, That does not work. And now I've very learned from that experience. And so what happened was I was in Ohio and I got laid off again for the second time, but I couldn't afford that 900 to cover. So I had to let the house go. Um, with that being said, I had some savings and I was like, okay, I can't, I, I, and Sorry, I'm one step back. Right before I let the house go, I'd purchased a condo where I lived for $35,000. Okay. The mortgage payment was $350, right? Because mm. I didn't know in the West Coast that I, what I found out when I got to the Midwest in Ohio was that there's houses that cost this much and they're actually in really nice neighborhoods. Mm. They're actually nice properties. Like I didn't know that when you live on the West Coast because it can be very expensive. Right. And so I'd purchased that and then I got laid off again and I let the house go. But what happened was this, I was unemployed twice. I could, I sent out tons of emails and I mean like applications, I didn't get it. But the fact that I owned such a low cost condo was my saving grace during a very scary time. That was when we were losing 500, 600, 700,000 jobs um, a month, right? Like that's pretty serious. Right. And I wasn't getting any callbacks on the applications, but I had purchased this property and I got a rent, a roommate. And her six fifty covered the mortgage plus all utilities. And then I like to tell people I did mystery shopping on the side. So I would eat free food and get reimbursed and make four hundred at the end of the so I was cool. I was shopping at Goodwill. I was so comfortable. Yeah. I could be poor. I'm just letting you know. I could be poor in a heartbeat. Like it's cool. You give me goodwill, I'll figure out some hustle. So right. I was selling cutco knives, which is a little embarrassing because I had an engineering degree. Okay. You do not want to be selling door-to-door cut code nice to your other engineering friends All right but it was 14.75 an hour mm-hmm. if i made the seller did it so mm-hmm. whatever right right so uh so you know i was at tough times or just a little humbling mm. But I realized having these low priced properties is a way to withstand a lot of economic pressure. $350 is something people can do. Even if you side hustle it or babysit, you can come up with that. 
and there were more houses like this. And so I was like, I need to keep doing this. And so about six months into that, I got a job in DC and rented it out. And I was like, okay, let me keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And then I did it again in Richmond. I did that. Uh, um, I bought a house in Baltimore for 13,000, put about 15,000 into it. I was all, well, wait, um, I was all in 33,000. So 13,000, 20,000 into it. Mm-hmm. And I did it over a year because I didn't know what I was doing, but it was, but you know, I learned a lot because I did it. You know, mm-hmm. I did a lot of work myself. I saved up and then did it. Then I would save my paycheck and then do the next. And save right. my paycheck and then do the and next. So did I have the money yeah. at once? No. Mm-hmm. I create. I used any credit available option, which I talk about, you know, on my platform about how to use that, the financing part. And I got through it. And then I did it again in Richmond, Ohio for a $25,000 property. And then I was like, hey, everybody, y'all need to do this. Now, the neighborhoods tended to be where I found them in black neighborhoods, mm-hmm. lower income or working class. I like to say I'm working class. My dad was union. My mom worked at the hospital, so she was union. So very much like anyone can recognize, pretty working class family, right? Right. Um, so the neighborhoods I looked for were things that I knew in my neighborhood, um, things that I saw were nice, but also I know that people had stereotypes about my neighborhood because it was all brown and black, right? Mm-hmm. I know people would be like, oh my gosh, don't go over there. And I'm like, I lived on the safest street ever. Now, mm-hmm. four blocks over was a little rough. We only went there when I visited my cousins, but you know what I mean? But like right. where, but right. like that idea, I sort of knew that people just had more stereotypes than actual facts. For sure. Just because of my upbringing. Do you know what? I was so sure that all, and, and guess what? I was right. Mm. So much misinformation, uh-huh. uh, which gets mixed into white flight, which gets mixed into just overlooking a whole neighborhood and undervaluing. So like I said, I've learned over the last six years how much of those bigger economic issues go into this. So, right. but at that time it was just like, these exist. They're in working class, low income neighborhoods, but that's okay. Uh-huh. Most of them are minority. Right. And they're neighborhoods I grew up in or my cousins lived in and I would visit or my grandma lived in, right? right, right. And the people who resonated. And I was like, I got to tell you guys because there's people like me, I can't afford a $200,000 house, mm-hmm. right? Because um, I need to get into it. The traditional investing advice will say, buy in an A-class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to buy the house in the best school district, but that house doesn't cash flow. Mm-hmm. That, that house, you know, is very expensive and doesn't make you any money, but that's the traditional advice. Right. I'll side note that into saving traditional advice is for very rich people. Mm. It is not for the average investor, which is 80% of us. Right. And so a big part of what I do is now get people, get people real clear about you do my strategy if you're modest of income, mm-hmm. but you still want to get cash flow. You do theirs if you have half a million dollars in the bank. So you can take 200000 and put it on this house because mm-hmm. it's better than what they're going to get in the stock market. And that's something that wasn't said and really disheartened people where it was something so that I, I now say it. Like I make it really clear, like, let's be clear who this advice is for. Right. You know? Right. Um, so, so the people, and so that there's the next stage. So the people who resonated that was, were mostly black professionals. Yeah. I say professionals cause it was tending to be nurses, flight attendants, doctors, teachers, people who had a little bit of money, uh-huh. 10,000, 20,000, 25, you know what I mean? It didn't have right. to necessarily be a lot, right. but you know, they had 10,000 saves and they were like, and they were the ones who understood what I, my words were. Now, right. everyone liked what I was saying, but my clients are the people who would reach out and go help me do this. And I would go, oh, and they'd become my clients and I'd help them build their portfolios. Uh-huh. Tended to be black professionals. Uh-huh. And everyone else wanted my stuff, but they were the ones who actually would pay me for my expertise. Everyone wanted my expertise, mm-hmm. but weren't going to pay me for it. So in my own, so on my own head, I was getting a little 
I don't know. I was getting a little snotty. Like, if you weren't a black professional, I'd, I'd question you. Right. Like, okay. You know, like, I would be like, are you going to actually pay me? Like, they'd have to pay before I would it would spill all the beans. That's what oh, I would for sure. say. For sure. Um, just because I noticed that tendency of not, you know, they'll take my free stuff but not pay me what I'm worth. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. So, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so, right. So, 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 before I was saying I help black professionals, it was just right. like, I, I was, it was just, I, that's what I noticed with the people who were attracted to it or um, Hispanic people of Latin, Latino descent would talk mm-hmm. to me. And it was very funny, you know, because the, you know, Dominican girl would be like, I found a Dominican neighborhood. I want to invest in the Mexican uh-huh. guy on West coast in Compton was like, I know this Mexican neighborhood. Right. I thought it was right. really cool how they was like gravitate. They're like, Oh, I know the perfect neighborhood I can invest in nice. for real estate. Well, for cash flow and, and like building wealth that's affordable, right. you know, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 properties, uh-huh. uh, which if you get a mortgage on any of those is 300 to $550 a month. And people pay more for their cars than they do oh, for some of these houses that don't make them four or five, six hundred dollars a month in cash flow, right. right? Absolutely. So, so that was the second level of who I started noticing actually paid me. So I got a little, little discerning about who I just gave it up mm-hmm. so, <laughs> about who I just went and prosthetized. Because at first I was just trying to show people at work, but then I started right. back and really only targeting certain demographics because I just found found that out. So the third level was recently, maybe like four months ago, I released a book about investing in rental properties for beginners on basically this whole strategy, low cost neighborhoods, how to navigate it. Um, and I noticed that everyone liked it and they were coming to me for help. But I did notice honestly that my non-minority clients weren't necessarily doing as well as my minority ones. Isn't that funny? I found that they were trying to find the perfect place. They were scared to death of neighborhoods that I thought were fine. Mm. So they wanted the low cost, but the kind of people in neighborhoods that came with it, they were very uncomfortable with. And for their sake, and for my own, because I like to win. I like me and my clients to win. And with them, it was a lot of stress from them. And we weren't winning. I wasn't getting Uh, results. So I did two of them, and I was like, okay, let me say – I work with black professionals because <laughs> I need wins. Right. Y'all ain't giving me the wins. You give me a lot of stress because you're not finding what you want. It's not perfect. And, right. I, you know, in the same exact market, my black clients would be like, oh, I found this wonderful property. It cash flow $600 a month. Mm-hmm. It only costs $33,000. These are real numbers. Right. And they were just doing so much better. So I was like, let me just say up front, black professionals. And it was mm-hmm. something I wanted to say before, but no one ever – I, no one ever really I never saw any examples I was like who else says like I only work with black people right. I just didn't see any do you you know what I mean no that's real I had the same sort of experience and so I was uh, waiting to see is anyone <laughs> else I want to do this I mean that's what actually pays me you right. know one out of five clients is not black they're white and they do pay me but that's one out of five versus 80 percent and i was just looking around to see if anyone does it and this is where the um inspiration came from there's this girl she like has facebook ads and she's like i made two million dollars this month i think her name is leslie or something and Uh she's like selling online courses forgot her name and she's like what's i went to a free webinar she's like what's your culture ad and i saw her going like this girl helps muslim women who are in their 20s do x Uh what's your culture ad I help, uh, you know, single ladies. And I was like, ah, okay. 
so I do help black professionals. And then here's the other part that pushed me over the line because I was still, I was like, hey, do you only talk to black people? Or, and they were like, no, nah, I talk to everybody. I was like, so I didn't hear what I wanted to hear. Right. And then I actually have like a, um, a, a business coach because I always have business coaches. Yeah. And he was a white guy, but he sort of connected to this. He grew up in the South mm-hmm. in like a low income black neighborhood. So in the South, I think you understand when you're white and you're poor Uh and your friends are black, you understand that what they go through more so maybe than any other part of the country. You might have a little bit of insight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they understand, I think in the South more so than anything, people make it really clear when you're poor and black or white, Uh they make it really clear. And so I think he just saw with clarity and he understood in a way that the South can teach you if Uh you're part of those others and you're ignored or stratified into this area, he yeah. understood. And so it's sort of interesting that I connected to him. Um, and he was like, Lisa, just say you work with black professionals. What mm-hmm. are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's just funny a white guy was telling me to do it. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good plain. business coach too. Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. like, what are you doing? I was just waiting for the words, I guess, because mm-hmm. I didn't want to like alienate, but I was like, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So I was getting closer and closer. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, let's just do it. This is 80. So if I lose 20%, I lose 20%. Let's right. just go. So then I was like, let me just say what the actuality is. Right. Um, and the funny thing is because it is real estate investing. I had a lot of white males and, and, and Hispanic males who follow me. Mm-hmm. And they would get a little interesting when I talk about white privilege, white flight, the things, those macroeconomic issues that go right. into play of why these neighborhoods are the way they are, right. which are waiting for people like me with some integrity to purchase in them mm-hmm. and not necessarily gentrify, right? right? Right. And they were like, wow, how dare you say that? And I'm like, ha, you think you're my ideal client because you're a Caucasian male, but you're not like, you're, right. you're not, you're not going to pay me. Um, I know who my clients are and they don't like Trump. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can talk about what I want. Cause I know who my people are. Does that right. make sense? Right. So, it was, right. Uh, so it, was, it was really, so I love the fact that I did come out. Um, I think it put a lot of people in their place on what right. they're entitled to um, mm-hmm. from anybody. And it just makes it easier to start having these conversations because six years of doing this all over the country and helping people over the country, you understand that those macro systemic issues of institutionalized racism mm-hmm. or um, really are coming into play. Now right. it's why I can buy this house for 50 K, which is good because I'm a great landlord. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? And people who I work with are great landlords. You want people like me and you who have a sense of responsibility ability right. um, we change the conversation just because we're landowners now mm-hmm. like there's a whole website called bigger pockets where it's mostly it was mostly very privileged people and then my crowd you know we did our thing and so six <laughs> years later we're like i own five in these neighborhoods what do you mean it's a war zone you know just the fact that we own now we change right. the complete conversation we check things that were unchecked does that make sense it does, um, it does. so that's what i loved about just focusing and then I can keep going too. I have so no. much to say about this. <laughs> no, one last I wanted to say, like you know, people are like the black community. One point two trillion. Our spending power is so huge. It's so funny because I doubled down on that because I was like, you can comfortably mind your business just mm-hmm. by catering to black people. Mm-hmm. Now you need to make sure that it's aligned with the the right price point, mm-hmm. your right value, right? There's other things, those softer business skills that go into it, right? But you don't need anyone else. We mm-hmm. don't need any other community to be successful. Right. And that's the bigger thing I like to talk about is we have the buying power. Mm-hmm. And if you present yourself the right way at the right, it has to be the right price point, right? right. Someone like me, 
of every price point in the world. I have $7, $37, I got $100, I got $500, I got right. $1,000, I got $1,500, $2,500, like I have every price point. You want to work with me, we're going to work with some limited way. So, you know, being mindful of those facts because you can't just be super expensive. It don't matter what community you're in, especially ours. And I can just talk about the nuances of privilege because the people who resonated with me, I can now which I love, like we talk about privilege. And mm -hmm. when you look at, listen to these other podcasts, they're like, well, how'd you get your first start? The traditional advice. And they're like, well, my dad loaned me $50,000. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we're first generation college. We don't have that luxury. Right. right? I have right. students that have this. My parents didn't have that. Or if mm -hmm. they did, mm -hmm. they're of the mentality. They don't give it to you. Like, wait, like, I don't know. Right. Some of my parents have none of that pass it down. Like my right. dad, he has seven kids. He's like, y'all ain't getting nothing. Oh, he no. just goes straight to my nieces and nephews, right? And he's just like, you are so ignorant. I don't yeah. <laughs> like you don't have a pass it down mentality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. He also doesn't have a get a will mentality either. So we're just looking at him like, it's going to get eaten up and probate anyways. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's a privilege to say ask my parents for $50,000. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I mean, I think you said you said so many like jams. Um, but yeah, so there are there are some like um, kind of structural, legal, financial things in terms of like the black family that we are missing. And I think part of that is because just sort of having this idea of not being having to have access to the any sort of um, hard or soft money. And so also even the idea of letting property sort of uh, evaporate or let them being sold or um, for going whatever through probate. Reason. Yeah, yeah, going through You know probate. how many black people email me about they're in probate, they need $20,000, they don't know if it's worth keeping mm -hmm. because someone like my dad mm -hmm. couldn't, I don't know who told him that, was it somebody evil? They're like, it don't happen like that here. Like, yeah, put, put it in a trust. Right, <laughs> in, right. They call me and email me mm -hmm. and it all goes through probate. It's a mm -hmm. legal way for, I think it's all, a lot of communities, but I've noticed in a black community to mm -hmm. take your wealth back. Right, right. So $100,000, right. 50000 gone. Two right. They yeah, didn't so have to do you, anything if, to you, except right. I don't know why. And I, you can't convince convince my seventy year old black daddy to do this. Like you can't. Like you right. know what so I mean. So if you set up in a system where ultimately they don't want you to have it, I can see how there can be all these um, sort of wise tales around why you can't or cannot do things when you absolutely can or how not paying taxes can just sort of be uh, a property can be ripped away from you so yeah yeah so you're right there are these systemic global things that are happening to us as well as our own sort of comfort level with money and finances and those sort of pieces too the the piece that um sort of really sits with me as you talk about it sounds like it was a a both and and type of situation where there were a group of people who all sort of looked alike and um, had these similar characteristics and were drawn to you. And at the same time, very much feeling like you were able to do your best work um, with these group of folks. And so I think that when we have situations like that for entrepreneurs, I think they do struggle um, with being able to say, I'm only going to work with this population um because i think i think sometimes people <laughs> feel like i am uh losing out on all these other potential clients or all these potential services or goods that i could give to other folks but in reality you're sort of expanding 
a view and um, creating a space for people who want to take you up on whatever you're offering. So you started this conversation. I, I have some other questions for you in particular around what would you consider to be um, best practices um, when it comes to working with the black community for you would have been your best practices and even potential pitfalls um, in working with clients. Okay. Okay. Um, pitfalls. That one's easy. Um, pricing. Um, I was getting a lot of advice because I charged this and I had to throw it in a, and there were like two years, three years in, let me be real, four years in, I had to go, you know what? you know what, that don't work with my community. Right. I mean, they're hesitant. They just don't have cash like that. So yes, I'm worth it, but I have to prove it to them with a low cost product. Mm -hmm. So everyone's like, charge what you're worth. But I, honestly, I don't like that advice. I'm like, start low, mm -hmm. increase the price. And there will become a point in which you get no sales mm -hmm. and then lower the price back down. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Right. Um, so just under so the pitfalls is just it's not even a pitfall just understanding we don't have tons of capital like that mm -hmm. so a big thing on my platform for real estate investing they're like oh just go ask your friends and raise fifty a hundred thousand dollars i was like that's not happening that's a mm -hmm. privilege that you mm -hmm. can do that right that is not the case with me and my friends who no one paid for my college mm -hmm. i got those loans no one showed me about credit card debt took me eight years to get out mm -hmm. you know what i mean my friends are just barely strongly like me so they you know, I can raise $500 from them, right. not 5,000. Mm -hmm. Right. So just like understanding like who you're, you're, so the pitfall is like not understanding the macroeconomics of that group. Right. Right. And I have some other, I don't know, <laughs> like there's certain groups who aren't giving up any money anyways. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I've noticed when Asian uh, men and males come to my, um, they not $1. <laughs> like, uh -huh. they will get my free stuff they'll ask the question they are not that is a but then when I ask them about it they're like well that's a cultural characteristic they hold on tight unless it's somebody they know uh -huh. right and, then, and so it's just really understand like are you talking to them are you talking to the black professionals well understand right. that they are willing to pay me money for my expertise but they're not just going to pay it to me mm -hmm. right they really need to have a big sense of trust right you know so i had to throw away a lot of like charge what you owe and like just in every single thing i slowly raised the prices mm -hmm. as my successes grew as the number of clients i helped another happy customer and that is a better thing to do than then charging too high to a clientele who does not have the financial tolerance to just pay you that right, yeah. right. um so that's uh, that was a pitfall just not understanding pricing um, I would say the second thing is like, know your audience. The reason I was able to be okay with going forward and saying I help black professionals is because when they say like, inter you know, you know, send their survey, find out who your audience is. I did. And I found out most of them were, um, professionals when they gave me their titles. It was some sort of, you know, something where you had to get a degree. Found their household income, knew that they were black professionals, knew what other websites they went to mm -hmm. or podcasts so I can make sure, you know, I try to show up on those podcasts. Um, and so know your client and know who they are and what they resonate with was really big. And I think that's why I've been so secure because I can talk about all these issues and know that they're ride or die with me. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Right. I know what their professions are. So if I go on LinkedIn, um, I have my social media um, VA 
I showed her, she has an SOP too on how to do this yeah. where she goes and she connects to, if it says engineer, lawyer, flight attendant, like I know my professions, uh-huh. right? Like uh-huh. my top 10, she searches for black professionals with those professions and make sure we reach out and connect with them as nice. potential clients. Do you know what I mean? I but do. like knowing that about them is what makes me be so strong at what I can or cannot do, but also understanding well, what are you, you, Lisa? Can you just give money like that? Can other people, and understanding they want to work with you, they probably really want your stuff, but mm-hmm. you just can't go above their, their tolerance level and pain level for giving it to you. Does that make right. sense? Right. It does. It does. It does. Okay. So, and one more thing. I'm a real big fan of the low price model. So, you'll mm-hmm. start to see more stuff. And I, my passive income really ramped up when I started doing seven, eight, nine dollars trainings that I had for a hundred. Mm-hmm. I reduced like 47 and 27 and 17 on a bonus in mm-hmm. one hour only. Um, and I've noticed that the low cost model, especially for the black community, it really works. It's sort of like that tripwire idea, mm-hmm. but that really works too to get them to go to the next level in a way right. that they're comfortable with. That makes sense. So that's why. So <laughs> we, we live and we learn, right? That's a, <laughs> so we try things out, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so can help. Right. So that's more about your clients. But, and, and okay. so I have a question for you. What yeah. preparation did it take, if any, um, to, to sort of make this commitment that this is something that I'm continuing to grow my audience, learn my audience, you know, do the survey that you talked about in terms of who they are, where they are, where they mm-hmm. work. Um, so that takes a level of commitment and thoughtful thoughtfulness, um, on your part, um, as well as, you know, some things that might feel fulfilling and some ways that might feel like, uh, you know, frustrations. So what level of preparation for you as the entrepreneur to make this commitment have you had to do? Okay. I will say that, um, none of my ideas are like Lisa's idea. My platform's (laughs) my idea, my real estate, but like building an online business around it. There are podcasts I listen to, okay? So there's like um, a big one for me in the beginning was Eventual Millionaire and all these people Mm. who became millionaires and it was very much into what did you do differently? And it was like, I knew who my client was. I knew who my client was. I knew who my client was. Mm -hmm. I sent them surveys. So I knew where to advertise, like Mm -hmm. exactly where they are and who they are. And so um, those free podcasts, these business podcasts are worth their weight in gold. And I remember every time I'd go out walking, I'd listen to a podcast and I'd get either anywhere from one to five ideas. Mm, right? And I'd write them down in my phone as I was listening and I'd implement. So a lot of my training came from these podcasts of successful people and they'd drop a gem or nugget that I could use Mm -hmm. and then I'd implement and then I'd listen again. There was another nugget I didn't know. I'm not necessarily a big reader, some books. So yeah, the, did this stuff come from Lisa? Like, you know, I, I have creative ideas, but mm-hmm. there's someone who did it before. Mm-hmm. And I just took the time when I was walking or doing dishes to listen mm-hmm. and see if I can glean some. So that was actually a big part of it. Cause I think for a year I did that and I was constantly getting ideas to implement my business to make it better. Mm-hmm. And one of them kept coming up was know your client. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does make sense to make sure to um, take full advantage of all the free resources that are out there. 
So you're absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you have said so much wonderful stuff, and it just sort of leads to like 10 more questions, but I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, <laughs> so what that might mean is I might have to ask you to come back later at another point. So yes, please do. Yeah, I love Clearly combo. love talking about these issues, right? <laughs> oh, but before we wrap up, I do want to ask you, what does Minding My Black Business mean to you? That is... I think minding my black business is a very powerful statement of ownership, mm. of standing firm and what we are doing and what we're here to do. I think there is so much strength behind it. And I think when you say minding my own black business, there is awareness and knowledge that we have everything it takes to be great within our community. And we're going to start standing so much more firmly in that right. and deliberate in it. So right. I love hearing it because I was like, we all need to stand firm and strong and know we can provide for each ourselves Absolutely. each other we have that strength we have that ability and anyways we just do things so much better faster more creative for trendsetters so yeah. like you're gonna get the best of all worlds so that's what it means to me it means strength and power empowering our community that's what it means oh that was a oh that was good <laughs> i wanted to come on right i appreciate that lisa thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us this has been fantastic Thank you for letting me talk. I just had so much I wanted to say. So thank you for letting me just sort of go on. I do appreciate that. No, this I hope good. it was valuable. Oh, it was. Absolutely. Thank you again. So if you want to know more and you like what you heard, don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast. Also, follow the movement on our website, mindingmyblackbusiness.com. And on our Facebook and Instagram pages under Minding My Black Business and on Twitter under Minding My Black Biz. So peace and blessings to us all, family. And when you're out there and they ask you what you're doing, let them know that you're minding my black business. <laughs>